Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's Word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. You're tuning in for our series EQ, where we're learning how to develop emotional intelligence so that we can have thriving relationships. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today and enjoy the message. Relationships can be tricky. It can feel like you're always trying to guess what the other person is thinking. This causes disconnection, creates confusion, and as a result, we tell ourselves all sorts of stories that end up bringing tension or friction to our relationships. Instead, let's learn how to remain calm and connected to each other. No matter what situation we find ourselves in, we can develop both the heart and the head skills we need to have relationships full of love, life, and meaningful connections. A couple of years ago, I remember walking into a Sunday service at Liquid, trying to find my husband in the crowd so that I could sit with him and enjoy the service together. This was back when our Morris campus met in the Hyde Hotel in downtown Morristown. And I was on staff at Liquid and I had promised my husband I was going to sit with him so that we could enjoy the service together. And I remember scanning that hotel ballroom until I finally found the man who after 20 years later still gives me premature ventricular contractions. In other words, he makes my heart skip a beat, church. It is almost Valentine's Day, can you blame me? So I made a beeline for him, and the only thing standing between him and me was a woman sitting in his aisle with her eyes closed and her hands raised in worship, and she's singing, I will build my life upon your love. It is a, everybody, firm foundation. I felt bad. Like I didn't want to interrupt her, but I wanted to sit with my husband. So I remember I tapped her on the shoulder and asked if she could let me pass. Only she didn't move. And instead she kept singing, I will put my trust in you alone. And I will So I tapped again and I said, I'm so sorry. But guys, by this point, she was all in. I mean, she's like, show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. Consider this my worship audition, Pastor Clint, okay? So I stepped into her personal space. I did what I could only do at the time. I put my hand on her shoulder. I shook that shoulder and I said, excuse me. I'll never forget her response. She snapped out of singing to Jesus and she snarled, can't you see I'm worshiping? She got so mad. She took her purse and she stalked out of the auditorium, shooting me a side eye the whole time. Welcome to church. Now, I'm not saying I handled the situation right myself, but I remember thinking, well, isn't that funny? She's here singing about the love of Jesus. 
but she doesn't seem to have a whole lot of love for his people. Now I know, I know, church, I'm judging her and I'm not proud. At the same time though, let's be honest, show of hands, how many of us are guilty of blowing up at someone at some point and letting our emotions get the best of us at any point in time? That's all of us, right? So let me welcome you to our three-week series we are calling EQ, Emotionally Intelligent Relationships. Now, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyra. I serve as the pastor of campuses here at Liquid, which just means that I spend the majority of my time traveling throughout all seven of our locations. Most recently, I have been in Passaic County. Got to give some love to mis hermanos y mis hermanas de Passaic. They speak Spanish over there. What up, Passaic? But help me also welcome all of my other brothers and sisters in Midco, Somerset, Garwood, Mountainside, Mercer, and Church Online. Can we welcome them this morning? And today I'm so excited to kick off EQ, Emotionally Intelligent Relationships. Now, quick show of hands, how many of you have heard of EQ or know what emotional intelligence is? Well, if you don't know what it is, EQ, is the ability to recognize your emotions, regulate them, and understand and influence the feelings of others positively. In other words, think about it this way. It's being smarter with feelings, yours and other people. And EQ is completely different from IQ. IQ has to do with your intellect. It's your ability to solve problems and decode complex ideas. EQ, on the other hand, it gives you the ability to decode emotions, yours and others, and then use that awareness to guide your decisions. Now, some people say EQ is more important than IQ because people with really high IQs can at times be really tone deaf emotionally. Like think of Elon Musk, right? I would argue he succeeded despite not having a very high EQ. He's a bit of a bull in a china shop, let's be honest. He has a brilliant IQ. The man has pioneered electric cars, personal space travel. But regardless of where you sit on that debate, IQ versus EQ, the reality is there has never been a more crucial time to develop our EQ than in the 21st century. Because you may have noticed there is this trend that's taking place in our modern world. The more technology that we have in this digital age, the more that we automate tasks and we trust machines to take over our duties, the more that we realize the importance of emotional intelligence. Because human feelings are what separates us from machines. I mean, sure, a computer can solve complex trigonometry, but it can't console a teen girl when she's crying, can it? You can ask Siri what time Target is open until, but Siri can tell you how to apologize to your wife, now can she? In fact, how many of you have heard of ChatGPT, the new AI chatbot? Any early adopters of artificial intelligence in the house? If you don't know what it is, ChatGPT was released in December and is taking the world by storm. The GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. And simply put, it's artificial intelligence designed to generate human-like responses to user questions. So last month, 
we celebrated Pastor Tim's 15th year anniversary of faithful leadership at Liquid. And I wanted to write him some words of encouragement to share with our staff. So for fun, we went to ChatGPT and we asked it, can you write some words about Pastor Tim's ministry for the last 15 years? I kid you not, church. Here's what ChatGPT wrote. Pastor Tim's love for the Lord is evident in everything that he does. His passion for sharing the word of God and ministering to others is contagious. And it's no wonder why so many people have been drawn to his ministry. So far, so good, right? Yeah, everybody can amen to that statement. Now check this out. But let's not forget about his big, beautiful hair. I mean, seriously, how does he get it to look like that? That I've wondered myself. I don't think I've ever seen him with a bad hair day. Me neither, ChatGPT. I mean, pretty amazing, right? And the world thinks so too, because within the first five days of launching ChatGPT, it acquired one million users, making it one of the fastest adopted technologies in the modern age. Contrast that to Facebook, which took 10 months, and Instagram, which took 2.5 months to reach that level of engagement. Now, why am I bringing up artificial intelligence? It's because... There is a real temptation in our day and age to delegate what are profoundly human tasks to a machine. In fact, just the other day, I was scrolling on Insta because I broke my digital fast and I saw a video on Insta of a guy asking ChatGPT to write a worship song. Check this out. I'm going to try to have an AI write a worship song. Here we go. Right me a worship song that is great okay so this is the first time you are the author of that <laughs> okay <laughs> it's working it's working it's good it's good oh my gosh it's so easy I mean, it's working, but I have no idea what it's going to sound like or if it's just going to be full of cliches. But while technologies like ChatGPT can do a lot, the one thing artificial intelligence cannot do is simulate human emotion. ChatGPT can't understand tone. It can't read body language. It can't catch an eye roll. It can't read all the nonverbal cues we communicate with our bodies, the crossed arms, Hello, teenagers. The pursed lips and not the duck face, okay? It can't understand when a guy says, hey, uh, honey, mind if I watch the game tonight? And his girlfriend goes, sure, be my guest. <laughs> and more important than that, no AI will ever be able to demonstrate a life transformed by the gospel. I mean, no one will ever look at artificial intelligence, no matter how advanced, and say, wow, you really know how to love people well. And that should matter to every Christ follower here because the degree to which we love people is the degree to which we love God. And you cannot love people without some serious EQ skills, which is what we're gonna teach you for the next three weeks. And I wanna give credit to Pete and Jerry Scazzaro for the skills we're gonna be teaching you, which I learned through their discipleship course, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. It is incredibly helpful. It is 
full of practical tools for blessing the people that we love. So let's start going. And I'm going to start us off today with a provocative question that someone once asked me. Here we go. Why is it that so many Christians can profess to love Jesus, yet at the same time make such lousy human beings? Ouch. I promise you they were not trying to be hurtful when they asked me this question. They were genuinely asking, why is it that so many of us can come across as judgmental, defensive, and touchy? And I believe the part of the answer is that we unhitch loving God from loving people. We struggle to engage opposing views with humility and tolerance or even how to serve alongside non-believers with appreciation for the talents and the skills that they bring to the world. And scripture is full of story after story of people who time and time again struggle to integrate their love of God with their love of people. In fact, if you open up your Bible app to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, you're going to read the first story that illustrates this idea. So let me orient you in the story, okay? This is Adam and Eve. And by this time, they were the first humans created by God. And by this time, they had already eaten from the fruit of the tree of knowledge. So they had been kicked out of the garden. And now they were making a go of it under the curse of man's sin. And like any couple, they wanted to start a family. So I want to read to you what scripture says. It says, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. So we have two brothers, Cain and Abel. This is the first family. And understand, we are only one generation removed from the garden. These are the first kids, and this is the first sibling relationship documented in Scripture. And it doesn't take long for it to start to go south. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So one brother is a rancher, the other brother is a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering Fat portions. Somebody say fat. Just don't say it to the person next to you, okay? <laughs> fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was, what church? Downcast. So understand, the brothers have beef. Adam and Eve broke their relationship with God, and their son Cain did too. He refused to bring God his best offering, and the Lord wasn't pleased, and that made Cain angry. In fact, we see Cain get defensive, reactive, and he starts to feel jealous of his brother Abel. Story goes on. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Cain, if you do what is right, Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, then sin is crouching at your door. It's desi it desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and what church? Killed him. 
Anybody here have a brother or sister who's hard to get along with? Ever want to take them out? Because this is one generation removed from the Garden of Eden. And we see the first murder. One brother gets jealous of the other brother and kills him. Now, listen to me. We all have tension with certain family members. I mean, I have an amazing older brother. That is my brother, Guillermo Jose. He's older than me. I, this is when I went to visit him this past December. He's a wonderful man of God. He's a great dad, great husband. Now, back then, eh, debatable. I mean, church, he never hit me because I was a girl. Oh, but I remember hitting him. I mean, he was the one who taught me how to hit a man, actually. And that's what's happening here. There's some sibling rivalry going on. Cain is angry. He's defensive. He's quick to blame Abel for his trouble, which actually reveals he's also self-absorbed. So understand there's some family of origin, some foo issues going on. And if these were modern times, probably most likely they would have settled for an icy relationship where each of them kept their distance. One would live in New Jersey, one would live in Puerto Rico, and they see each other once a year at Christmas. But at this point, Cain and Abel are the only people on the planet. So guess what? They're stuck with each other. Now, I know that there are people here today who have estranged relationships with their siblings. Maybe you don't feel as close to them as you used to. You've become estranged. And maybe there were instances where this was a necessary boundary that you had to put in place if it was a toxic or an abusive relationship. But if that's not the case, guys, I believe that relationship can still be salvaged. And I hope today's practical tool can help you make the first move. Because never forget, the degree to which we love people is the degree to which we love God. Cain had a broken relationship with God. And that is what leads to a broken relationship with his brother Abel. He failed to bring God his best. And when God favored Abel, Cain became jealous and murdered him. But I want you to notice that God actually confronts Cain with a very interesting question. He says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? And in response to God, Cain asks the first question by a human being in the Bible. I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? Now, this is the crucial question, church, because essentially what Cain is asking God is, am I responsible for other people? Do I have to take responsibility for anyone else besides myself? Now, make no mistake, society today would say, no, you don't. But the Bible says, 100% yes. We absolutely have responsibility for other people. Listen to me now. We're not responsible for their actions and their reactions, but we are called to love people. That's why at Liquid, we feed the hungry. We serve kids with disabilities. We bring clean water to the world's poor. We invite people to live in community. We don't do this because it makes us feel good. We do it because we have a responsibility to love well and care for other people. And guess what? So do you. 
In fact, I want you to flip over to the New Testament and hear Jesus Christ himself summarize the entire Bible and highlighting what the two most important commandments are. These are Jesus's words. He says, the most important one is this. Read it with me, church. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, and I want all of us here to read it. One big loud voice. And if you're in church online, type it in the chat. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Guys, what is Jesus saying? That the Christian life is about two things and two things only. Loving God and loving people. And you can't do one without doing the other. The cross is vertical, love for God, and horizontal, love for others. They intersect at the cross, which is why the degree to which we love people is the degree to which we love God. You know, last week I sat down to write this message. And before I actually wrote a single word, I had to pray and I had to ask the Lord to forgive me because last week I experienced conflict with someone who I have a relationship with. They said some things, caught me off guard. It was unexpected, definitely unwelcome. And after our exchange, I confess that I went home and I totally wrote them off in my mind. I was like, you know what? I'm not interested in rehashing anything else with that person. They're not going to convince me. I'm not going to convince them. What's the point? Well, the point is that I sat down later that night, that very night, to start writing this very message. And the first thing that I wrote was, the degree to which we love people is the degree to which we love God. Well, that's not going to go well. As you know what irony is? Because in that moment, I literally had to close my computer and I had to walk away. Because what I felt was the Spirit speak words that were very challenging for me to acknowledge in that moment. You know what the Spirit said? You want to stand up here on this platform and preach this word with any kind of integrity? Then, girl, you better put your big girl pants on. That's how the Spirit speaks to me. And go back and have a conversation with the person who hurt you and against whom you're holding a grudge. Because Kyra, you can't profess to love Jesus and refuse to love this person well. I, church, I think I cried for like 20 minutes while I was in the shower. Because you know what I realized? Is that I started the week feeling very defensive, but God was actually calling me to be very approachable. I felt reactive. I wanted to lash out. But the Spirit reminded me what I needed to be was non-reactive. I wanted to blame this person. But instead, I needed to take responsibility. Because that's how emotionally intelligent relationships work in the family of Jesus. God invites us to move from brokenness 
In other words, we get defensive, we have low self-awareness, we get isolated, we blame, we get angry. But God invites us to move into wholeness. He wants us to be high in self-awareness. He wants us to be approachable, to take responsibility. And you know what I realized is I started the week angry, but I finished the week in a spirit of gratitude. That God never gives up on me. And you know what? I'm happy to say I was able to have a very hard, but also very honest conversation with this person. Because at the essence of true Christian spirituality is the ability to love people well, even those, especially so sometimes, who are difficult to love. And to do that, we need to experience connection with God, connection to other people, but also connection to ourselves. Remember, we cannot be emotionally immature and still expect to be spiritually mature at the same time. And we cannot separate our ability to love God from our ability to love people. So how do we do that? How do we love people and love God in a real, practical, everyday kind of way? Well, today, I want to teach you a skill that we are calling Take Your Temperature, which you can learn to do with those whom you love. And to do that, I'm going to take out my little thermometer here. It's going to be on our graphic. And I want you to turn to your neighbor and go, ah. <laughs> so you guys know what a thermometer is, right? It, you may be like, a thermometer in church? Are we fundraising now? I promise you it is not that kind of a tool. It's actually a tool that is going to let you take other people's temperature. Because you guys know, right? Parents, you know this. When you take someone's temperature, what you're finding out is what's really going on inside of the person. I mean, they may look okay on the outside, but on the inside, they're either burning up with anger or they're feeling anxious or all sorts of emotions. So this is a tool that's going to help you take the emotional temperature of the people that you're in a relationship with. Taking the temperature allows each person in the relationship the ability to express themselves. So I want you to understand, we're going to explain this tool, but here's the key. The emphasis in this skill is really on the speaker, not the listener. The listener, you're just going to listen. You're not going to respond. You're not going to interrupt. You're not going to ask questions. You're making space for the speaker to express themselves in five areas. And each of these areas, they're pretty significant when, it's, uh, when we're talking about nurturing healthy relationships. But today we are in for a treat because I invited one of my closest friends at Liquid, Pastor Mike Lee and his wife Becky, to model this for us. Now, Pastor Mike, he is my neighbor upstairs. His office is next to mine at Liquid. He is our discipleship pastor, and he's my go-to on all things EQ and relationships because he has embraced this skill so well. So I asked him to model it for me with his wife, Becky. Can you help me join them today and welcome them in this stage? How are you, Becky? Mike, how are you? What up? All right. All right. Make yourself comfortable. Maybe um, tell us, first of all, thanks for being with us today. I really thank you and appreciate you for that. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are to the congregation. Sure. Sounds good. Um, so hi, everyone. I'm Becky. Uh, I work as a finance manager for Johnson & Johnson. And as a family, we've been attending Liquid for over 10 years now. Um, our journey has taken us through four campuses, Middlesex, Mountainside, Garwood, and now Mercer. Um, Mike and I have been married uh, almost 17 years this summer. 
Um, we've been together for about 20 years, uh, but we met back in high school at a church leadership conference over 25 years ago. Hold on, hold on, hold on. That is you and Mike in high school? <laughs> I mean, Becky, conference. you look the same. Mike, what happened to you? <laughs> I'm not sure. We do say Asians don't raise them, but I guess I got the short end of the gene pool here. <laughs> oh, man. So um, we, we became good friends then, and here we are today. We have three kids, Toby, who's 15, Ellie, who's 10, and Micah, who is 5. So I can say having a husband in ministry uh, means I get the privilege of being voluntold to help out with uh, fun things like uh, take your temperature. We appreciate it, Becky. Thanks for being here. Yeah, um, good morning, Kyra. Good morning, everyone. Um, I was going to say we're really excited to be here, but I know we we should speak in I statements. So I'm going to say I'm really excited to be here with Becky. Um, I serve here as your discipleship pastor after working about 20 years in the marketplace. And it's really been a privilege to be called into ministry. I've personally experienced God in amazing ways, um, especially with emotional health. So, mm. you know, it's, it's really great to be here with you guys yes. today. I love that. Now, thank you both also for being willing to be my guinea pigs and model this for us. But church, what we're going to do now is we're actually going to be explaining each step of this process. And then Mike and Becky are going to model it for us. So you're going to hear me use each sentence as I'm going and then going over it with you guys as we go back and forth up the thermometer. So like I said, the key here is that the speaker, whether it's you or you, they get to share what's on their heart without the other person giving a response just outside of acknowledging what was said, right? Makes sense? So first off, you kick off your temperature reading with appreciations. Turn to your neighbor, church, and say, I appreciate you. I appreciate appreciate you guys. I already feel good. Doesn't that feel good? (laughs) That's because appreciations are like brain food. The next time that you let someone know you appreciate something that they did, I want you to watch their face and see how it lights up. In fact, you guys, my husband always jokes with me that I only need two things in life. He says, you only need food and compliments. And I don't think that he's wrong, okay? (laughs) Appreciations, they're basically saying, I see you and I'm going to say something about you that I appreciate. So it's actually a form of giving thanks. So Becky, what would that look like for two people to start taking their temperature with appreciations? Yeah. Um, So my example from Mike, I appreciate that last week when I needed to be in the office earlier and more than usual, that you were willing to accommodate my schedule, and you stepped up to handle the kids' drop-offs, pickups, packing lunches, dinner, pretty much all the family affairs for the week. You're welcome. Um, okay, and so I appreciate that, that you're here with me today. Um, you took off of work Thursday. We both served together uh, night to shine, and I just continue to appreciate your partnership and your participation um, in, in my ministry. It's not something you signed up for, but here you are with me, so thank you. I already feel warm, and it wasn't even for me. (laughs) Now, Mike, you are the Korean brother that I never knew I needed. And from you, I have learned that not all cultures are big on appreciations, which when you told me that, I was shocked because that is not the case in Hispanic culture. Yeah. I was told I was great every day. Yeah. So tell me about that. Why is that? So it, it is different for a lot of cultures. Um, like you said, you grew up with a lot of positive affirmations and appreciations. Um, in Western cultures, a lot of times people don't give appreciations 
unless um, they go the extra mile or go above and beyond. Uh, because after, other than that, it's just you're just supposed to do your job. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Asian culture specifically, we have a special reason for we, why we don't give appreciations. And it's because we don't want to see our kids or people around us get big heads. We don't want them to get too full of themselves. So we hold on to appreciations mm-hmm. and don't really share them out, which really is damaging, I think, because for me, like even now receiving appreciations, I know you felt warm. I get a little uncomfortable because I'm like, oh, what do I do with this? Good feeling. Interesting. Yeah. But I- at the same time, I feel like appreciations are so important in relationships. It's good to appreciate people, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the next category are puzzles. Now, we're going to learn more about that next week. But for now, I think that we can all agree that a huge problem in relationships, whether it's marriage, whether it's coworkers, whether it's friends, family, even in churches, the problem is we make assumptions. We make assumptions, or I would say judgments, about other people based on what they did or didn't do. And it's human nature, right, I think, to kind of turn these assumptions and interpret them negatively. So, for example, let's say I send Mike an email or a text and you don't respond, which I have been guilty of doing that to you. I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) And then you never respond. And so I start telling myself all kinds of stories. I say, well, I think Mike's upset with me. Or maybe I come to church and someone doesn't say hi to you and all of a sudden you start telling yourself, why are they so rude? Or how come they're so passive aggressive? What did I do that they're so upset? The problem is, here's the problem, and this is key, guys. When you create false narratives about people, you are bearing false witness against people. So instead of assuming that I know why Mike didn't return the text in that moment or why somebody didn't say hi or did something or not do something, instead of assuming anything, the key here is that we turn to puzzling. Now, instead of saying, you know, you're so addicted to your phone, which would be me for my daughter, I can actually choose to say instead, Gabby, I'm puzzled why you're on your phone when we agreed that we were not going to look at them during dinner. Guys, if I can be transparent, this phase, I'm puzzled, is probably one of the most spiritual phrases out there, more than hallelujah, I think. Because here's the key. I don't know about you, but I am a recovering judgment addict, okay? And if I just remember to use this phrase a little more, it would probably cut my sinning by half. I can't even count how many times I jumped to my own conclusions because of what someone did or didn't do. And saying I'm puzzled is just a great phrase that allows you to process through conversations, process through thoughts without actually being accusatory to the other person. So this is one of the ways that you can practice being your brother or your sister's keeper by taking responsibility and maintaining emotional health in the relationship. So I want to hear some real life examples. Mike, maybe you can kick us off this time. Yeah, and so to use this, sometimes, you know, if I don't have something that I'm puzzled about with Becky, you can um, process by thinking of someone else. So in this case, uh, this will be for our son, Toby. Um, So I was saying, Toby, uh, I'm puzzled why you left the kitchen counter all sticky this morning with maple syrup um, before you left for school. Yeah. And then my example, which I've probably needed more often than not at work, I might say to a coworker, I'm puzzled why you missed the due date uh, that we had agreed to. You said that you would send me the file by Wednesday, but I still haven't received it. Mm. Tell me what does using the phrase I'm puzzled do to you or even to the person who's listening to you? 
Yeah, so it's the two things, right? If you're listening and you're actively using the skill, when you hear the word I'm puzzled, you know that the other person is, is really looking to see what's happening and what's going on, that they're actually trying not to make assumptions. And so it brings your defenses way down. Um, and if you're the one using the word I'm puzzled, then you really are stopping to think, um, how am I caring well for this person? How am I loving well for this person? And let me not jump to that conclusion. And you have to take a second and process before you jump to that conclusion. Mm. So it's really powerful. That is so good. Yeah. I actually love to puzzle on myself. I'm puzzled why I did that, right? <laughs> yeah. That's good too. Um, okay, next are complaints with possible solutions or recommendations. So what does that mean? Guys, each of us, we are very different. We have been created by, different by design. So we have our own likes, we have our dislikes, and that's what differences are all about. So listen to me, it is normal to have little complaints here and there about daily stuff, right? Whether it's because we prefer or don't prefer things a certain way. For example, you guys, I love an orderly house and my husband prefers to leave his favorite green mug on the dining room table all day because in his world, he's gonna use it all day. What's the problem? Well, the problem is I don't like that. <laughs> and it's not a problem to dislike things. The problem is that at some point in our lives, especially when we were kids, we were all taught a little rule that said, if you don't have something nice to say, can you go ahead and, and finish that sentence for me? Don't, don't say, say anything, anything at, at all. Somewhere along the way, right? we have learned to internalize these feelings of complaint and carry them around. We don't say anything, but then stuff just festers, especially in relationships, and it creates problems down the road. So I wanna show you how powerful this tool can be when it comes to these little daily annoyances, because if you do express your complaint, sometimes it just stops there because you don't say what you want. In other words, you make a complaint, but you don't take responsibility for what you really want instead. So for example, in the example of my husband, Jose, I would say, Jose, you left your green mug on the dining room table again. That is an example of a complaint. My husband would call it nagging <laughs> without any solution being offered. But if instead we use the phrase, I notice and I prefer, then we can say the complaint, but offer a solution too. Here's how that would sound. Jose, I noticed that you left your green mug in the dining room again. I prefer that you put it in the kitchen sink. Very simple, very loving, but I would love to see how it plays in two people in a relationship. Who wants to go first? You can go first. And okay. Mine is very similar to yours and Jose. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mike, I noticed that recently when you've been coming home from work, you've been leaving your book bag on the sofa where I like to sit and I would prefer if you put it by your desk where it should go. I'd prefer that too. <laughs> all, right. Um, all right. So for me, the example again is for our kids. Um, and similar to orderly house, I guess that's a common theme that we have here. Uh, I would say, hey kids, I noticed that when you come home, you've been leaving your jackets and your shoes just on the ground or all over the place. And I would prefer if you would hang up your coats where they belong and your shoes where they belong. Mm. What does that do to your kids or even to you when you phrase it like that with Lee, I notice and I prefer? Yeah, the first thing it does, is, again, it slows down my heart and makes sure that I know, one, what I really would like in the situation. So it, it jumps, it keeps me from jumping to like a place of anger or being annoyed. Um, and the other thing is, 
it shares with the other person like what's important to me, right? And when you use I notice and prefer, the big thing is to use them for small things, right? We're not trying to solve world hunger and world peace. It's really small things, although the jacket and the green mug does sound like it's, it could be big <laughs> things. Um, but yeah, you're just kind of demonstrating to the other person, this is really important to me and this is, I care enough about you to offer you that solution. Mm, I love that, so good. Okay, the fourth category is new information. So obviously you guys know for relationships to grow, you gotta be able to know what's happening in each other's lives, both good, both trivial, bad, important, not important. And again, this can take many forms, but the key here is that you wanna stay current with the latest information that you have to share. So for example, I would say to my husband, my new information is that I have a work trip next February. Or my husband would say to me, well, I'm going to be working in the city next week so I can pick up Andy from aftercare. The key is that new information helps keep people in a relationship connected, right? Like we want to know what is actually happening. So how does that look like for you guys? My new information um, is I'm starting to think through spring and summer activities for the kids. Mm. So we can start calendar planning, which is a whole process in itself. I'm puzzled and why that is so hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and I would love to get your input. Okay. Uh, my new information is that I'm going to be teaching a course starting the middle of March for about eight weeks on Monday nights. Um, so I'll be home late and we might have to make some adjustments to our childcare and dinner routine and schedules. Mm. Now, the course that you're referencing is this kind of skill set, right? You're going to be teaching right. EHR. So yeah. Shameless plug, church. You want to sign up for his course in <laughs> March. Um, but truly, when I, my husband and I have these kinds of conversations all the time because we are, you are both busy parents. You have three kids. You work full time outside of the home, same as us. So I call them transactional meetings. They're not really sexy meetings, if I can say that word at church, but they're super important. Tell us why. Yeah, so new information and wanting to share information with someone, it's, it's a way of saying, hey, I care about you. I want you to be a part of my life. I want you to know what's happening. Um, and that's how you continue to build that community and communication. So as unsexy as it is, it really helps <laughs> in staying connected and staying together um, and staying on the same page and aligned. Mm. Yeah. Well, the last and final category is hopes and wishes. So hopes and wishes, they're important because they are the things that give insight into what makes us come alive, right? Like, I want to know what makes you come alive, Becky. Um, and so we love to hear what makes other people come alive. And like new information, hopes and wishes, it can be anything from small to something really big. So, for example, in this season right now in my life, my big hope and wish is that I would mother my daughter well through her last three years of high school. I cannot even believe I have three years left with my baby. And so it's just really important to me. That is my hope and wish because I know it's going to be going really fast. So it's big stuff like that, but then also little stuff like that. So for you guys, as you parent three kids in different stages and ages, you're working, you're caring for elderly parents as well. What are some of your hopes and wishes? Uh, my first hope is that I never have to do this again. <laughs> Thank you for um, yeah. being voluntold to do it. Yeah. Um, actually, I'm looking forward to our upcoming Israel trip and hope that it'll be a special time for us to create memories as we get baptized in the Jordan River, uh, renew our wedding vows, and get to walk where Jesus walked. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. Um, and my hope is is that I hope as a family that we keep building and improving these communication skills. Um, I know we're both working through, with, I guess especially me, I'm working through some family of origin things. And I really just think like it would be so great for our kids to learn these skills now and have them now in their tool belt instead of like in their 40s, like we've picked them up. 
you are going to save them hundreds of dollars in therapy. Absolutely. Yes. That's right. Amen. <laughs> Can we thank Becky for her time in this? Thank you, Becky, so much for blessing us with your examples. But, guys, also thank her because I didn't realize she had to put up with so much. She, <laughs> no, she did. I'm kidding. Now, um, Mike, any final comments on what we just observed or even what we you guys modeled for us? Yeah. Uh, so I know what you guys are thinking. Some of you are thinking, like, nobody talks like that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely true. Nobody really talks like that. But I want you guys to remember um, this is actually a skill and a tool. It's not really a, a conversation. And so what we wanted to do with these five sentence stems is provide you with um, guidelines and guardrails. And so the purpose of taking your temperature is actually for the speaker just to be able to express themselves in an uninterrupted way. A lot of times in the relationships, there's always like a power dynamic with your coworkers. You have someone who's the boss and someone who works for them. And so we really want to be able to provide the speaker with a way to share and express uh, what they're saying and what they're thinking without um, having the other person interrupt. Mm, it's so good. Yeah, and so, um, you know, it's weird. We're not used to relating like this. So I can, I can honestly say it was probably really uncomfortable for me in the beginning as well. And I'm really still terrible at not interrupting when people are talking. But so these skills have, have also indicated to me when someone says, hey, I'd love to take a temperature reading with you, then I know, like, it's my turn just to listen. Um, so think about all the things that you've done, like riding a bike, learning to drive a car. You need those guardrails in the beginning. And then once you've kind of mastered them, then you can be a little more flexible with it. So in our family, we like to try to do this when we go out to dinner. Um, but there are times when it, it kind of backfires, right? The other day, my daughter Ellie said, hey, are we going to take our temperature during dinner today? Because I got to notice and prefer for Toby. <laughs> and so she's been like saving this. I know. <laughs> um, and so she's been saving one for him, right? And so I just want to warn everyone, right? Because this is a tool, yeah. just be careful, right? Because it can also be used as a weapon. Right When taking your temperature with someone, your tone and your intent, it matters so much. And so um, try not to use sarcasm. I know that in New Jersey, sarcasm is basically a love language. But please <laughs> try to not say things like, hey, I appreciate that you didn't mess that up. I was going to say that to you at the end of this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm puzzled why you would do that. Um, or I'm puzzled by what a terrible person you are. Yes. Or uh, I noticed that you're really not very good at that, and I prefer that you try a little harder, right? Don't mess that up, okay? So fight the New Jersey in you. Tone and intent matter. Um, and as this skill gets more and more embedded into your everyday life, I just really hope that it ends up being just the natural way that you communicate and care for those people around you because it's made such a big difference in my life, right? In my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my coworkers, um, and even my relationship with God. I just have such a deeper appreciation of God knowing that um, the amount that I love others uh, reflects how much I love him. Amen. It's been a game changer for me. Too. Yeah. Can we thank Mike for everything that he just shared with us? Thank you, Mike, so much. Now, guys, this skill is not just a tool for pastors. It is for all of us. You can have an emotionally intelligent relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your son, your daughter, your roommate, your coworkers, your parents, people in your small group. So here's my challenge to you today. I want you to take your temperature with someone that you love at lunchtime today. And we're going to give you extra help because on your way out today, we're going to hand you a card that are going to have the steps that you need to take your temperature and the temperature of those you're in relationship with. Remember, church, we are learning how to live in the new family of Jesus in a healthy way. So we want to learn new behaviors that are going to let us as Christians be the best lovers of people on the earth. Amen, church? Well, let me pray for us. 
Father, we thank you that in Jesus Christ, we have the model of excellence of what it means to be a emotionally intelligent person, Lord. I thank you for his example in speaking his mind, in weeding out the truth, in naming emotions, in grieving and processing through all the emotional range of what it means to be a human. And I thank you that as our Father, you actually live with us there. That Psalm 139 says, you know our innermost thoughts, Lord. And so I pray that through this skill and through this tool, Lord, we would be able to put some words and, and name and define what we're feeling with the purpose and the outcome to have more loving relationships, Lord. Help us to love people well as a measure of how well we love you. We thank you for your word and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening.